This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. And you are listening to Connecting Cultures Features on RFM. Kia ora everyone, welcome to Connecting Cultures Features, a show by for and about the multicultural people of Dunedin and New Zealand. So I'm here with Alva Suarez-Garcia, someone who I met at a uh, panel uh, for the New Zealand International Students Association and we just clicked and became instant friends. Um, I'm really excited to have her on the show today. We can talk about so many things. Hi, Alva. Hi, Irina. It's so good to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you so much for being here today. And I know that you've had history at OAR and you're just looking through the walls as if like you're back. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. the feeling I had when I came in. Oh, um, tell me, what was your experience when you, you know, you did a show here once? It actually started with another show, Science Notes, with Dave McMorrin, ah. professor at, at the University of Chemist- Chemistry Department. Yeah. Um, and uh, with him, I kind of explored a little bit about my, what my research topic was about uh, for my PhD in science communication, which is all about outreach and engagement with wider audiences on the stories of science. Mm-hmm. Um, and the team here at Tago Access listened to my interview. They were interested to be able to share those stories with the local community here. And they offered me the opportunity to to host some of the episodes mm. uh, here in Otago Access. And so I ventured into my Around the World in 80 Discoveries podcast, which was totally new for me because I'm not someone who really consumes much podcast. I'm a, a much more of a visual uh, kind of consumer. Yeah. Um, so it was a huge learning experience to be able to you know, edit and produce a podcast uh, for local radio. So it's, it feels like I'm coming back to what felt like home during my Aww. PhD. So it's great to be here. And when was that? When did you do your PhD? So I started my PhD uh, near the end of 2018, so October 2018. Um, I started the radio show in 20. 20- 20, actually. Covid I re- times. Yes. Uh, I remember I, I managed to record the episodes just before the lockdown. And so I actually had the lockdown period to set up my computer in my room wow. and work on the editing and and start to produce the content that I was going to test for the later stages yeah. of the PhD. Um, luckily, this year I submitted. I submitted Yay. on time, um, went through all the process. And I can proudly say I'm expecting graduation in December, Yay! which is great. It's so soon. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's huge. So yeah. it's, a, it's like, it's a big thing, right, that you've finished. And mm-hmm. it was also something you did throughout COVID. So it feels like a really long time ago. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was, a, it was an experience for sure. And particularly within the field of science communication, I started... To actually witness what I was learning in theory and practice on how, you know, science knowledge and science awareness can change public behaviors and attitudes. And that's something that we saw in the pandemic. If mm. the complexity of epidemiology wasn't broken down into, you know, very simple, simple and digestible um, information, um, 
we were we would have probably not responded in the same effective way that we did. Mm-hmm. So I always referred to Susie Wiles and um, is it uh, Toby Morris mm-hmm. the comics? Yeah, um, the flattening the curve, um, which actually spread all over the world because it was such a simple and visual way to yeah. convey the importance of staying at home and and reducing transmission um, uh, opportunities. So. So, yeah, it was really interesting to experience that whilst studying it in yeah. the research. Um, and like I, like I mentioned, it was actually really good timing because although I didn't have access to the, to the sound studio on campus, I still had a lot of material that I could work with throughout the lockdown period. Mm. So it, it didn't affect my research as much as, for example, someone who needs access to the lab or who needs to collect data in other ways. So I was really lucky. Mm. Mm. So now that you're done with your PhD, Mm -hmm. what are you up to? Uh, I'm currently employed by the university. So uh, at the end of last year, I, you know, I saw the looming deadline. I thought, okay, well, I need to start thinking about what I'm going to do afterwards. Um, And I started looking at uh, job positions that were available at the university. Because although I've been very nomadic in my life, I'm at the stage now where actually I've built really good connections here, um, Mm. professional and personal. And I think in a country like New Zealand, where so much is about your network, um, it would be a missed opportunity to look elsewhere. Mm. And so I was looking at positions in the university and I saw um, a program coordinator position for student engagement, on-campus student engagement for the Career Development Center. Mm. And I thought, you know what, give it a go. Uh, let's see. Let's see what happens. Um, went to the interview and to be in a, in a panel of interviewers with career advisors whose, whose job it is to really train people to be able to, to present themselves, it was almost like a double test as well. Yeah, it um, is. But I was, I was so fortunate that it felt so comfortable and it was such an um, open kind of uh, environment that it didn't feel like an interview. It felt like a really interesting conversation, brainstorm of ideas. And when you can feel totally yourself in that type of situation, it's when you know you can be a good fit to the team. And luckily they saw that too. They offered me the job and I submitted my thesis in January and I started my job 10 days later. So it's amazing. You <laughs> don't really have a break then. <laughs> yeah, I went to, I did a little bit of the Kepler track. Ah, good. <laughs> yeah. Did a trip uh, yeah, to with my friend Amida mm. and came back and just started and did not think that actually the change from the freedom of doing research that you make your own hours and it's really self-directed yeah to you know the routine and schedule of work the the inbox like that's something I struggled with originally so many emails coming in when I was just used to like minimal correspondence with my supervisors and other members of the of the science communication uh team and so it was it was a huge learning curve um but finally found the reins I feel so much more confident and I'm starting to to see the value that I can add to the team. Because I think at first, uh, it's almost like the imposter syndrome. Yeah. 
which I felt during the the PhD. I thought, oh, no way in the work environment because you know you they give you the the, the instructions and you just perform the role. Um, but I struggled with imposter syndrome actually, um, and. It was puzzling that I was having such difficulties trying to navigate a system because I was so unfamiliar with it. Um, but much like studies, you got just got to hunker down, mm. understand it, kind of um, dissect it, and then you know how to use it and implement it. And so now I'm past the learning curve and I feel like much more cruisy, mm. which is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It helps to feel comfortable when you're working as well, right? Yeah. Mm. And even this year, there, because of the second wave of COVID and, and things taking unexpected turns and the uncertainty of being able to do more in-person engagement and workshops with the students and all of that was kind of put on hold yeah so it also changed the nature of the role which I think affected the that feeling of imposter syndrome because I thought oh I know that I really um I can uh really fulfill my skills and my um and my interests when I'm in conversation with students when you're connecting with them exactly and not having that in-person connection and being everything online and virtual um, also changed uh, the way that I saw myself in the role. Um, but hopefully it's something, it's the wave that we've just overpassed and, and hopefully calmer waters will come from it and, and I'll be able to relish all the possibilities and opportunities next year with mm. more in-person engagement. So I'm mm. excited. Um, mm. So currently, what do you do at work? Um, mm-hmm. I, I know that that's like, I mean, it's October and things are like wrapping up. And mm-hmm. at the same time, people are planning for next year as mm-hmm. well. So what are you looking forward to in terms of your role? So to tell you a little bit about the role description, so I can tell you how I'd like to work on them. Um so as program coordinator, uh, there's two main programs um, that I'm, in, I'm coordinating this year. So that's the Otago Mentor Match uh, program, which is a mentorship program connecting final year students with industry professionals that are also Otago alumni. Mm. And so there's that shared experience of being a student at Otago. Um, and so it's curating those connections uh, between students and alumni um, and that's been really rewarding from feedback from students of, you know, the impact that that alumni have made in their lives and opportunities that have come from that mentorship. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other program is Otago Extra, which is the Employability Award, um, which is basically facilitating resources um, that will make a job application more seamless and and easy for students. It's something that they would have to do anyway in the the job application process. Um, But we kind of try and break that down and and train them or get them to be more aware of what that process is like so that they can practice and and be more familiar with it when the real situation happens. Mm. Um, And so something that I'm really excited for next year is going back to the Otago Mentor Match program. And one of my highlights this year was working with information science students Mm. in one of their papers, the Applied Project. 
So I was in conversation with Sherlock Licorice, who's the who's the teacher of the paper, um, and he organized a hackathon. So the class divided into groups, and they came up with this web-based application that would solve all of that, um, um, th- like the issues that I had with the system, because it's quite outdated. Um, I wanted something that was more user-friendly and more engaging, and that would improve the experience of the of the participants. And so just last Friday, I went to the final session where the teams presented their solution. I'm currently still demoing um, what they've come up with. I'm super proud of what they've done. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. and that's definitely been the highlight because that's, that's the one project that I had that I could really – I was in class with the students and, and having that engagement with them. And building the relationship as a client, uh, but also someone that they could relate to as well. Yeah. And so I'm I'm super proud of what they what they worked on, um, and I'm really excited to implement their solution next year for mm. for participants next year and see how that mm. fares. It's great to know that you know um, it's not just a project that you created. Like you, this is something that is useful for mm-hmm. everyone, you know. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's worth for the students to know that it matters what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's being used as mm-hmm. well. Mm. And that's something I tried to um, reassure them that not only is this, you know, a product that will be used by the university. It's a huge opportunity to as a learning experience for them. Yeah. And whether the their web based solution is implemented or not, it's something that they can put towards their portfolio and talk to future employers about. Um, and they've developed a lot of skills that they hadn't uh, worked on before in terms of practicality. Mm. And so I hope I hope they've seen the value mm. of of working with me on this, which mm. is great. Yeah. Um, let's go back in time because mm-hmm. something we have in common is we're both, we were both international students, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's how we met at mm-hmm. the um, International Students um, event. So can you share with me your journey to studying in New Zealand mm-hmm. and how that came into place? Mm-hmm. Um, back in time. Let's go back <laughs> the clock. Um, I was living in Barcelona before I was living here in um Aotearoa. And I had all the intentions to pursue my PhD in Barcelona. Um, it coincided in time with uh, a pretty important movement, which was the um, the plea to uh, make Catalonia an independent nation. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of protests and a lot of um, kind of civilian... I don't want to say uprising, but I mean, it was it was definitely a tense moment of time when I was in Barcelona. And with um, kind of not conflicts, but, you know, the use of language and, and knowing Catalan and, and, and speaking in Spanish and how that could be received um, by the members of the public or, or my peers who, I'm, who I was talking to really made me reflect on whether pursuing a project that was about communication and engagement uh, and outreach, whether that was the right environment to do so, because yeah. everything was quite charged, politically speaking. Um, and so I sat with my parents and we thought, okay, well, let's let's look at options. Um, my dad had suggested 
U- the U.S. Um, I, at the time, did not feel comfortable going to the U.S. I did not believe in the presidency um, at the time, and it just didn't feel like it was the right place for me. Um, and I knew that at some point in my life I needed to experience Aotearoa, maybe as a Lord of the Rings kind of fan. <laughs> yeah. um, but just the that image I had of this just raw beauty, natural beauty, that really beckoned me to this side of the world. And I'd considered Australia as well. Um, unfortunately, Australia did not facilitate the same things in terms of international student fees. The great thing about New Zealand is at a PhD level, if you agree to complete the, the, the entirety of your studies within the country, you can opt for um, domestic fees, yeah. which is like a third of what an international student would be paying. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I did not receive a scholarship. Um, and so I was pretty much paying the same thing I would have paid if I was in Barcelona doing my PhD. Um, so that was kind of what uh, uh, weighed the balance more towards New Zealand than Australia. Um, so I contacted the members of staff at the Center for Science Communication, which is now a Department of Science Communication, and I got a really positive response. Um, and so they became my supervisors. I flew over, and and that was the start of my PhD journey here. Mm. Um, went back home briefly, very briefly, two weeks. I went home Christmas 2019 with the expectation that I'd be going home the next Christmas yeah. and or the summer. And evidently, you know, the world had other things mm. in store for us. And it completely changed um, what I thought I would be experiencing. And so I was isolated from my family. I still am, but I'm very much looking forward to December, which is when they'll be coming over oh, finally after three years. For your graduation. For my graduation. Oh, that'll yeah. be such a beautiful thing. Have they been to New Zealand before? So my parents have. Yeah. Um, when I went back home in December 2019, my parents had booked um, a cruise around New Zealand and the Pacific Islands and so they left early January we split in Dubai they flew to Australia I flew uh, back here to New Zealand and then they hopped on their boat and they docked here in Port Chalmers for a day wow for a day and so (laughs) I picked them up and I showed them as much as I could (laughs) in the space of a day in one day yeah well okay so if you could, if since you did um, show your parents New Zealand for a day, where did you bring them? Uh, here, when they came to Dunedin, uh, they, my parents have seen more of New Zealand than I have. I oh. just want to preface that because they explored all of the North Island and yeah. the north of the South Island, which are still um, unfamiliar for me. But here in Dunedin, first place, the Botanic Gardens, because yeah. that was the first place I experienced when I came here on my first day. Um, so we walked around the Botanic Gardens. I took them around campus. We had um, a light lunch with my friends in the staff club. Um, we came to city center, walked around the octagon, and then uh, I went to Port Chalmers to have a meal with my parents on the boat, um, wow. yeah, which, was, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, and I was 
actually just recalling it this morning with one of my colleagues that when I said goodbye to my parents, I went up to the, the, look, the lookout in Port Talmers, and my parents were out on the deck of the boat. And this was still early January, so we knew about COVID, but we didn't know the impact that COVID was going to have all around the world. Mm. And I can still see my parents Aww. waving from the deck. And I remember fe- having this feeling, almost like a heaviness, that, like a longing, knowing that I wasn't going to see them yeah. for a while. And who <laughs> knew that it would be three years? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I haven't teared up for a while on the show. Because, <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen them for a while, too. Tell me about you. <laughs> Do you if you want Are to you doing me? <laughs> um, I'm really looking forward to April. Mm-hmm. <laughs> going back to Malaysia soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> How long are you going to go for, hopefully, for a good Five time? weeks. Because nice. I haven't been back for five years. <laughs> so I think that's five weeks, five years. I think that's a good yeah. trade-off. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited for you. <sighs> Thank you. Mm. What's the first thing that you want to do when you get there? Aside from like oh, just, just holding your family and not letting them go. <laughs> Eat. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure you, you'd have the same answer too. Yeah. Yeah. It's just different, you know? Mm. the food there mm. what would mm. you eat what was the first thing that you'd be like oh I've been craving this for five years I need this right now nasi <laughs> <laughs> kanda so it's basically like rice with different types of curries mm. Mm. so that's what I get is it spicy <laughs> yeah oh, yes <laughs> I'm like how are we just cheering each other up because <laughs> right did you find that here that when you ask for a spicy meal like is, does it reach up to your no, spice expectations I have to say extra spicy and they'd say mm. are you sure and I say yeah Yes, and it's still not spicy. Yeah. <laughs> I know the feeling. I'm like, Indian hot. Like, are you Indian hot? Indian hot. Yeah. Please. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not the same. Mm. Oh, the food. What a thing, food, huh? Yeah. How it just, it's, it sparks this almost like nostalgia from from our childhood. Huh. Like the, how it just, the, the flavors mingle in our palate and can just take us back somewhere Mm. or make us feel so at home are there any like spanish food in dunedin that you can have that you think is like at a level of (laughs) um from restaurants i wouldn't know yeah um luckily i've got friends from spain David, this is a shout out to you (laughs) thank you so much every time you make us paella because He's from Valencia as well, and paella yep. is very authentic Valencian dish, um, and he makes it delicious. And mm. so, when he makes paella for us, it's like for a moment I can just dissociate from my surroundings. I'm like, oh no, I'm just in the terrace with my friends <laughs> in Spain. Yeah. You know, if you get a really nice sunny Dunedin day, you can almost convince yourself yeah. that you're that you're home. Mm. If you put, like, a laptop screen with the window, you know, you'd actually imagine that you're there. It's amazing. And the really loud murmur of people in the background, because I feel like that's a sound. As much as I love the peace here and the Mm. serenity, there's also kind of, in Spanish, we call it bullicio. Bullicio is like the, like, murmur, the public murmur that you can go to a cafe or walk down the road and then you hear, like, the... (laughs) 
of just people talking oh, in the background. I miss that. Mm. That I usually have like hear that in Malaysia when we go to like the markets, like mm-hmm. the morning markets mm-hmm. or the evening markets. Yeah, just people talking in Malay. You know, it's just really different than yeah. here because people are quite quiet here. They don't, they don't really because there's not many people. It's, it's true. Back home. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and even the like the city traffic. It's like. Like ninja traffic, yeah. you know? <laughs> which is actually really nice. Uh, it's it's a nice change from a really busy, bustling city. Mm. But I do miss the murmur of people. Yeah, mm. this goes really well with um, the next thing I wanted to ask you about, um, which is cultural values and practices. Um, so you grew up in Spain and you came to Aotearoa. What were like the values of being Spanish that you mm-hmm. think is, you know, important to your lifestyle today? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting question, which I actually find really tricky. Um, like cultural identity is such a nuanced thing, I think, for me, uh, because I did grow up a, a good portion of my childhood, 10 years I spent in Spain. But then before that, I'd lived four years in the U.S. And before mm-hmm. that, I lived uh, three years in Mexico. And so I have like this kind of Mix. melting pot of of cultural upbringing, um, which makes it really hard to tease apart, like, what's from what. Um, I guess the biggest values that I learned from my parents, um, not necessarily that they have to be Spanish in in, in nature, um, but respect for others, understanding empathy, emotional intelligence, um, and being fortunate to have lived in these places also fostered a sense of cultural sensitivity, um, but I don't. I wouldn't associate these to maybe like Spanish Spanish mm. values. So more. these are your values. Yeah, they're yeah. brought up from my parents. Aww. Yeah, I guess maybe not a value, but a practice which ties in with what we were just talking about before is the social aspect of Spanish culture. Um, so. You know, being able to go out for a coffee at 7 p.m. and have so many places to choose from to have a <laughs> coffee. Um, and just just seeing the terraces always populated with people. There's a very social element to the way that we interact. Um, so any time to catch up and meet up with people was like there's always a busy social calendar, I feel. Um, and... I think that's something I do miss, like the more social, busy, um, busy lifestyle, I mm. suppose. Yeah. And it's hectic, but in a good way sometimes, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's just being surrounded by people who speak your mother tongue, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just really different. Yeah. And the energy is contagious because, yeah. you know, when you have a very lively kind of nature, it's it's almost like... It reverberates and it just fuels the energy of places, mm. which is really nice. Mm. Mm. And sometimes I feel like maybe my, my energy is too much for the piece, <laughs> uh, for the piece of Dunedin. But actually, no. But no, yeah. no. Okay. <laughs> you be you. You know. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> um, we might go on a song break. I think this is a really good time. And you brought some songs for us today. I did. Um, mm-hmm. Share with us one of the songs. 
Okay, so I guess I sent them to you in order because for me they have a chronology. Ooh. So Sibemunye Africa uh, from the album uh, Gospel of Mother Africa um, takes me back to a time in my life just before I kind of left the nest and went to uni. And um, my parents had been to South Africa to visit my sister, and they picked up this album. And it played in our car for all our car journeys and the trips that we did before I left home. And so this song in particular just takes me back to just being with my family. And so that was definitely one that I wanted to include. And what Mm. a perfect song to bring (laughs) to the show. Thank Mm. you. Um, Yeah, so we'll have a listen and we'll be right back after the song break. Come, 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 come
Selamat datang. Konnichiwa. Hola. 안녕하세요. Assalamu alaikum. And Kiora. Connecting Cultures Features is a show by and for the beautiful and diverse multicultural people of Dunedin. Join me every Friday noon for Connecting Cultures Features on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM, podcast on oar.org.nz.
عمراني معاك غدوة تاني متمني يكتب المكتوب ونكون حداك آه يا قلبي شوف هواك وين رماني فوق بحر صافي بمواجوداني معاه تبع رياح الحب وعندك حطني ودعني وصاني وقلي حبيبك ما تنساه هزينا ما درتي فينا أنا وقلبي حوسنا لك ملقينا ها يا زينا ما درتي فينا أنا وقلبي حوسنا لك ملقينا Tago Access Radio 105.4 FM. I'm Arina, and you're here with me for Connecting Cultures Features, a show by, for, and about the multicultural people of Dunedin and New Zealand. I'm here with Alba. 
Hello. Hi. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so we had a really good chat today. And sometimes it feels like I've known you for a million years. Mm. You know, it's just... Familiarity. But yeah. Mm. So I think there, are, when you meet someone with a similar cultural background or practices or values as you, you just connect really mm-hmm. easily. Mm. Um, it could also be shared trauma as an international student, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> those kinds of things. Mm. Mm. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling uplifted. I'm feeling bright, like the weather. Yeah. Um, and I'm feeling good. Really good. That's so good. Yeah. Because we're now going to talk about mental health. So, Ooh, <laughs> so big we're topic. Go right into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I love talking about this with my guests just mm-hmm. to see how they're doing and to share the things that they do that help them every day. Mm-hmm. Um, days when they feel good, days when they feel not good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. Really, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm feeling good. Um, if you would have asked me maybe two to three weeks ago, the answer would have been different. And it's something that we spoke about on the roadshow. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the biggest struggles of being an immigrant in a country that's not your own is going through the bureaucracy and the paperwork to prove that you want to be a good citizen and contribute to society. And so I was kind of in a struggle mentally to to go through the process of changing my visa from a student visa to a work visa because in that change of conditions it's illegal for me to work and so there's a huge amount of pressure I put on myself to not let my team down because I didn't know how long that period was going to be I know that because the border situations are changing and um people are interested to come back to New Zealand or to come to New Zealand the processing times for visas have been delayed they're also sorting out the fast track residency that they implemented this year and so in my mind I had no idea how long I was going to be on interim and so I was going to be unpaid unemployed and I didn't know what to do Mm. um, because I'd started and had ongoing projects with my team with the students information science students and I just felt like I was letting them down. And even like the fear that I would lose my job and re-advertise. Um, luckily, the university was very understanding. And they put my position on hold until my work visa was approved. And that ended up being a week, which was great. Um, I'm very fortunate because I know it's not the same situation for other people. Did it's you expect longer. it to be longer? I did expect it to be longer. I expected maybe three to four weeks yeah. Mm. So it was a surprise. And almost like, I'm not even going to lie. When I saw the email, there was like sense of relief. And at the same time, I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh. there's my holiday. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to work. <laughs> oh, well, at least I'm getting paid. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that I think that took a toll. And it's interesting how maybe one aspect of life where there's uncertainty or where there's some sort of emotional distress kind of brings to the surface other things that perhaps you had neglected to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a bit of a meltdown. Um, of course. And I'm so glad I'm supported. I've got such a nurturing support system at work that I felt held and and 
it was what I needed to get through mm. that emotional distress. Um, but now, three weeks on ish from that moment, uh, with the security that you know I'm back on the team, I'm contributing. Um, and everything kind of sorted, at least for the next three years. I don't have to think about visa situations. Perhaps consider residency now. Who knows? Mm. Um, but that's added a whole lot of peace of mind, so to speak. Um, but yeah. Mm. Mm. I think it's great that we're talking about this because people don't really know the struggles of an immigrant. Mm-hmm. Um, once I've like people, people here, um, especially citizens and residents. Um, well, not residents. Like people who are born here, they don't understand. Like, oh, you've got to leave. Why? Why can't you just stay? <laughs> you know. Mm. <laughs> and they don't know the the effort and all the immigration things that we have to go through just to prove that we ha- we want to live here and we can contribute to society. Yeah. 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 So just sharing this awareness mm-hmm. of like stories like this is mm-hmm. very important for mm-hmm. people to have more empathy and um yeah it's it's hard to be to not know what to do for one week plus you know you don't you didn't know how long you'd be mm-hmm. off work for and there's so this uncertainty brings up so many distress yeah mm-hmm. and i think not only is it lack of awareness of people who don't have to go through the process? But I think it was also a lack of awareness on my part on the on the impact that it was having on on the people around me as well. Not just like what I had to go through, but because I was going through that, that's what I was sharing with my friends when they asked me how I was doing. And to hear from so many of my friends to say, I've had to go through the same thing. Oh, it was so stressful. Like mm. I couldn't I couldn't work. And it was a self reflection for me too that you know, my friends have gone through the same thing and mm-hmm. we haven't talked about it. Mm-hmm. And it should be something to talk about because they provided a huge amount of comfort and resources, who to contact, try this email, try this. Um, so, yeah, it's it was, yeah, self-reflection for myself too. Mm, that's interesting, right? Because when um, those things happen we tend to just shy away from speaking about it and mm-hmm. just keep quiet and um, not knowing what to do next mm-hmm. mm. so I'm I glad ha- you have like a community of friends who you can talk to about that yeah mm-hmm. but what you just said now about shying to be to confront the situation the clearest example is I still haven't told my parents that I went through that <gasps> Wow. Because from the other side of the world, I didn't want them to worry that yeah. I was unemployed and what was I going to do. And and I decided to not put them through that stress. Yeah. And luckily, now that my work visa is reinstated uh, or received, um, now it's kind of like a worry that I don't have to pass on to them. But if mom, dad, you listen to this, everything's all good. I promise. <laughs> She's okay. Mm. Mm. And that's, Aww. I think, also part of the struggle when you live far away from home and from family. Yeah. It's how much can you actually do when you're, when you or your family's going through something? And I think that was, it was interesting during the pandemic because we had it so good, so to speak. Um, the situation was, 
under control. Uh, we didn't see what we were watching in the media, it, like what happened in Europe and the U.S. And and that's something a lot of the world experienced, like the hospitals, um, kind of the streets as well. Um, so it was almost uh, – it was a strange experience to be in New Zealand where everything was so calm knowing that back home and in so many other places it was a completely different story yeah it was so much more reality that a pandemic was hitting us mm. oh. mm. um so during the week when of uncertainty mm-hmm. what did you do I like to think I'm a pretty up, upbeat person. Um, and so I have meltdowns. Let's call them meltdowns. Uh, <laughs> I have them very rarely. But when I do, they are full on. And honestly, sometimes crying. <laughs> it seems so silly, but just letting it out and just having a good sob. Just so much to release some of the tension that your body builds yeah. with the stress and so that felt great <laughs> I'm very lucky because I've got beautiful people in my life who who have helped me through thick and thin and who can just completely take my mind off the worries by just being ourselves around each other I love my friends. I love my housemates. I'm so lucky that my house has this beautiful dog, Poku. <gasps> and I will never underestimate how much companion animals can, can impact our mental health. Because there's a, a purity in their love that is incomparable. And so coming home and just having a cuddle or going for a walk and just shifting my attention from my inner world to my outer world and his world yeah. was was medicinal. Mm. Yeah. And dancing. Dancing. Movement. Just when I hear when I hear a song that just calls my body, it's my form of meditation. I've tried meditation of sitting in a quiet space, but I think my brain is too active to keep it silent. Mm. But when I'm in movement, it's somehow the easiest way that I can disconnect from the thoughts and mm. just feel the movement. And so that really helps a lot with my mental health. Mm. And that's really good advice because meditation isn't for everyone. Mm. Like not everyone can sit still, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, like even though people are advocating for, oh, meditate, you know, ooh, the yoga. But mm. if it's not for you, if mm. it doesn't work, then, you know, try something else. Yeah. Mm. And f- uh, the term is called Shinrin Yoku. I don't want to. Ah, forest bathing. <laughs> okay. We've got something in common. Yes. Let's talk about that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Forest bathing. Love it. Yeah. Taking in the forest or the natural environments through all your senses is also hugely medicinal. Mm, where do you go? Um, to, to a number of different spots. I love the town belt because I love how uh, kind of rogue it is. I like to take the paths that are not really tread on very frequently. So I like to just meander through the wilderness. Um, The town belt, I love. uh, The botanic gardens, I love. And as peculiar as this may sound, 
I find a lot of peace in cemeteries. Mm. Um, and they're normally located in really beautiful places with sceneries for for the most ideal resting spots and with the respect that those places require i find a lot of peace there mm. and the and the the wooded areas that fill the space are also quite enchanting and so i like going to cemeteries and reading my book and just having a moment to myself mm. and that's a very different perspective right because mm. you don't really hear that a lot that cemeteries can be peaceful yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and it's uh, definitely caught the attention of a couple of people like okay yeah, but that's weird <laughs> yeah but i don't know i find it really interesting and mm. i and it's an interest that i had when i was younger um to look at the names or the years and kind of imagine what period of history they've mm, gone and through. And acknowledge them as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. And say their names, maybe not out loud, but to myself. Um, it's an important part as well. Acknowledgement. Mm. Mm. That is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, Alba, thank you so much for today. Thank you. I think you will come back for something else because I feel like there's so many things <laughs> we can talk about. I'd uh, love to. But, uh, you know, time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much for today. And we'll play some of your songs as well mm-hmm. during this show. Mm-hmm. Um, really appreciate you being here. And this isn't goodbye. I think we'll definitely still see each other. Said to be continued. Yes, TBC. <laughs> TBC. Thank you so much, Arena. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for the space to host this conversation and to engage with you again. It's always mm. a pleasure. Mm. You take care this week. You too. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Connecting Cultures Features on RFM. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the Air.